Well, welcome to Shelf Impactors, everyone. I have an amazing guest back on the show today. It is Chris Doe, um, founder and CEO of The Future and Blind. We have actually met a few times since our last podcast. Chris, welcome back. Thank you for being on. Thanks so much. Good to see you again. Long time no see, stranger. I'm going to start with an icebreaker question because I completely forgot to do it last time and it's on okay. our little um, set list. So I'm going to pick one of three and I'm going to go with what's your favorite meal of the day? So I'm going to go completely away from design and creative. It's the end of the day today. What's your favorite food meal? I know you're a bit of a foodie. A little bit. So my favorite meal of the day is breakfast, believe it or not. And I like to drink my protein shake as my personal trainer has just grinded me on like you got to get your protein in. So I actually wake up kind of hungry looking forward to it. My favorite kind of food to eat is usually Japanese food, and I love sushi. And one in particular, I love sugar fish. Oh, because we met in a matcha cafe when we met in LA. Mm -hmm. So I thought you might have mentioned Japanese in some form. And for a moment there, I thought you were going to go into a um, Stephen Bartlett podcast and start plugging your favorite protein drink. <laughs> so I don't know if you I love I love Stephen Bartlett as a podcast host, um, but he's this, his sponsor is Huel. So he I always see. starts the podcast with, I recommend Huel, yeah. <laughs> which is really fun. I don't have a sponsor, so I have nothing to mention. <laughs> we do this just for the love, right? Yes. Um, well, look, thanks for being back on. It's been a couple of years since you were on the podcast, but you've been doing loads of things lately. You've been touring the world. Tell me a little bit about where you've been, what you've been up to, and all the different shows and words that you've been spreading. Well, you know, after the pandemic, there's been some pent-up demand for in-person events. And all the event organizers who were kind of going in hibernation mode have come out of the woodwork, sprung up like spring flowers, and they're blooming. And so I've been zipping across all over the world, basically. I got back from where, where, where I saw you. We did a three-city tour in Australia. We went to Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane. And then I went back home, did a couple of things, and then flew to Europe to do a European tour. Eight cities, countries, London, Stockholm. Uh, we went to Dubai. Uh, we went to Berlin, um, uh, so many different places that my mind is freezing right now, about Amsterdam, and then I come back and I'm zipping back and forth. It seems like I'm home for a week, and then I fly again. So I've been to New York, and I just got back from Las Vegas, and I'll be heading out to Miami, uh, to New York, to Toronto, to Vancouver, just a bunch of different places. So it's a little bit nuts. How exciting, because I think you went over to Europe at the same time that I went over to America. <laughs> oh, we swapped places. We did, yeah. Because I think I was hoping to catch you there, and then we kind of swapped locations. So, which was your favorite place, and how were you? How were you received? Because I know when I spoke to mm. you last time, you were a little bit. Um, you mentioned to me about the Brits not being so welcoming. And um, so, of your Europe tour, like where was the best place, and was there anywhere that you got any pushback? Well, I have to clarify. To clarify, I'm not sure. I said the Brits are not welcoming. I said some parts of Europe are, are tough crowd to play to because they're not the raucous, emotive Americans that I'm used to. Uh, certain parts of America, especially the Deep South, when you speak, they talk back to you, not in a negative way, but they'll stand up and say, amen, or that's right. And, and at first time when I went to I'm like, whoa, okay, this is a little bit different. And as a person who's giving a talk, I think we have to understand that there's an energy that's being exchanged between speaker and audience. And so when the audience doesn't say anything, this was the case in Milan when I was there many years ago, it's like the audience is so quiet, it's like you can hear a pin drop. And, and that kind of made me feel really strange. So I had to like say, hey guys, if you don't want me to be here, I'll leave. They're like, no, 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 we're just quiet. We're a little bit different than the Americans. And so I come to respect different cultures and how they interact. Japanese are also super reserved. They barely say anything. And so it's a different way of processing information. 
And as for me, you know, I think in another life I might have been a performer or comedian if I had that, that DNA in me. So I'm, I'm kind of a pretend comedian. So I was like, uh, if I'm throwing jokes at you, I, I want some reaction. I, I want you to gasp a little bit or, oh, my God, I can't believe you just said that. Yeah, I want some reaction. But we were well-received. London was just crazy. We did the workshop there, and they're animals. I mean, they were just tearing the workshop apart in a very good way. They would push and challenge, and I was going over here, and then they pulled me over there, and it was just super nuts. But I, I loved every minute of it. And how about Australia? Because I do remember in the Melbourne show that you did, I think you asked the audience how the show had been so far or how your performance had been so far. And I think someone in the crowd said, it's fine, which is a very English word to say, and it means so very many different things. And I think your com comedic response was, we strive for fine. Thanks yeah, for that's that. the level of excellence I try to go for. <laughs> Just fine. <laughs> So how was Australia in contrast? Because I imagine that was, I mean, I was there. It's a little bit more diluted than probably somewhere, other places around the world. Yeah. So I imagine Australians, and that was my first time in Australia, as fun-loving, easygoing people, very salt of the earth. And I think that stereotype is pretty spot on. You're, you're a rugged people. You get out there, you do things, and you, you don't try to make too big of a fuss about it. But I noticed in each city it was a little bit different. In Sydney, I, I think it's like, like everybody is professional, we're going to go get things done and things are moving. It feels a little bit more like New York. I'm not saying standoffish, but it's a little different energy. And then Brisbane felt more like hometown, like everybody's chill. People are a lot quieter, maybe more humble um, and, and not so aggressive. And so when we returned back to Melbourne doing the workshop, I asked Jason, like, Jason, What's the energy going to be like? He's like, Chris, my people are not going to disappoint you. Don't worry. I'm going to hype them up. I'm going to yell at them. You will get the reaction and the feedback that you want. And for sure, we got it. The room, again, emotionally, I, I threw out a couple of questions to debate. And it almost exploded with like crazy bad energy. So I'm like, let me defuse this right away. And we moved right on. Yeah, Melbourne is known as the more creative of all of the places in Australia, I think. Yeah. And that would have been super exciting for you to just to go and experience those different cultures and those different reactions and just kind of gauge the nuances of different, you know, different kind of spaces around you. Yeah, and it's all different. And, and so, it was, so you must have learned heaps. Did you come back super inspired? Uh, if I wasn't uh, like bleeding from my eyeballs from exhaustion, <laughs> yes, I think so. But we, we had a pretty rigorous travel schedule that was... Uh, it was a little nuts, like especially traveling through Europe. And, and it's hard to believe this, but I'd fly into town the morning of and get prepped for the workshop literally the day after. And the next morning, we're on another plane out of our hotel doing that over and over and over again. In some cities, I had a little bit more time, but not much. So at that point, I had zero energy to try to like change up the workshop or to adapt to what's going on. I could only do that live as a performer, if you will, or as a workshop host, but not so much the deck or the worksheets. And so it was a little rough. It wasn't until the last two cities. In Stockholm, I had a good amount of time to rest before going to Dubai. Same thing. I had some time before and some time after. And so that's when I started to really think and learn this work that didn't work. And this is where I need to go with it. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because everyone around you, and, and I, I, I guess because I've worked in different places, I get the same thing when people go, it's so exciting, you travel everywhere with your work. And I love it. Like, I love to travel, experience different things. But there's that moment, that pocket of burnout when you go, it's not as glamorous as you might think it is. They're not traveling first class and having, like, days to rest in the hotel. You're just going from one thing to another. And you just grab it and run with it. But when you get back, you're, and I think you're probably a little bit, you've mentioned this before, that you're a bit of an introvert, really, but you're a forced extrovert. So I think it's like after this, 
this call, you'll be like, I'll be buzzing after this call, but there comes a moment like an hour after that when I just need to be by myself for a bit. Mm. And I guess by the time you get home, like, what are your, do you have any like little hacks and things that you do when you get home or when you get that time to yourself to just recharge? What do you do? I don't do a whole lot, I gotta tell you. So after a podcast interview like this, I'm gonna go lay down and take a nap. I, I don't even have the buzz. I'm just drained, okay? And it's a little bit different. And I'm trying to figure this out myself. Like, how come it's different in one instance and not the other? If I were to go out and there were like 10 people and I'm talking to them in person, I'm not going to go home feeling drained because now people energize me. It's really weird. But doing this facsimile of a face-to-face conversation, after a while, it's like, you know, I'm really focused and I'm trying to make sure all the tech is working. Everything is supposed to be where it's at. And I had this one shot to record something with you. I want to make sure my words come out correctly and that my face doesn't look too weird. So afterwards, I'm exhausted. But if I'm talking to you in person, there's no camera around. Nobody's recording it in theory. And so I can be super relaxed and it's totally okay. Yeah, it's always better in person. And I guess that's, yeah. Uh, it's nice that the world is getting back together for that exact reason. Yeah. It's so much nicer in person. I was recently lucky enough to go and meet the team that I work with as part of SGK, but over in Singapore and just to meet them in person. And now I know when I call them to put a name to that face, it's just different. It just, it just feels authentic. And to your point, like I have a huge thing, like I will probably never share the video from this, even though many people will tell me I should, because I just have a huge fear about the video, mm. like I, the audio I'm okay with, but the video, like it's just one of my, like it stresses me out so much. Yeah. So I think to your point, like it's interesting to hear you say that. So you will nap. I mean, it's the afternoon for you there, isn't it? It's like four o'clock in the afternoon. Yes, four, it five. is four fifteen now. Yeah. So you can have a nap, and it won't ruin your actual bedtime sleep. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I need to. Uh, the problem is when I when I do like back to back calls. Like I did a Zoom call, I did a podcast interview, and then I talked to a potential sponsor. And then I'm talking to you. As you can imagine, my my introverted brain is like ready to fall over. So I'm gonna go and get some. <laughs> Some matcha tea, no surprise. Get jacked up on a little <laughs> caffeine, come back, chill for a little bit, and then get back on the machine because I have a lot of work to do. But when, when, to, to answer your original question, like what do I do to unwind? I basically, I'm just probably on the couch, no lie. I'm, I'm watching Netflix or YouTube. And when I say watching, I'm like half an eye open and checking some socials and just really decompressing. And I need to get to that state of absolute boredom before I feel like I've got creative energy again. And I've been zipping back like a couple days ago, I was in Las Vegas, scorching heat. And in a few days, I'm going to be traveling again. Actually, I'm traveling tomorrow, but something for fun this time. I'm going to Comic-Con with my son. That's another way for me to recharge. Uh, basically, the answer is to, to do nothing except for maybe to exercise. So veg, sleep, and exercise. That's it. That's awesome. And do the things that nerd out. Like the Comic-Con thing will be amazing. You'll have to, I'm sure you'll post some things about what it's like and where it is. Um, we recently had like a low-key one in Sydney, but it's nowhere near as good as the ones in the U.S. Yeah, this is, the, I think, the world's biggest comic convention. It's San Diego Comic-Con, and I've been going for over two decades. That's awesome. We look forward to seeing the shots from that. Mm-hmm. And well, maybe we can um, maybe we can riff off a little bit from that. Um, you mentioned the word bored there, which is a word that I don't like to use too much because I don't like to say that I'm bored, but I think we need moments to be bored but also fill that time. I think there's a difference between people perhaps who aren't creative who say they're bored. It means that they literally have nothing else to do or whereas we kind of 
it's a, a downtime. It's kind of like a time where we just fuel our brains with other things. So whenever I'm bored, I'm a bit like you. Like I'll, I'll scroll through different socials or I'll look at YouTube videos or things about where AI is going or just little things to, f to kind of still feed my mind. But in a, I don't have to do this. It's, I'm not obliged to do it. So I think the way we see boredom. So let's go from boredom. Something that I've noticed that a few with creatives and people that I talk to lately about them feeling stuck. Almost now the world is going again. There's no, they feel the low, so they're stuck. And, and I felt it myself when I came back from America this year, where I just feel a stuckness of not moving forward. So I think now the world is moving forward. We feel we need to catch up with it. Um, do you ever have times, I mean, you've been on tour, you have all of these things that you're trying to do and achieve. Do you ever have times where you feel a little bit, I don't know how better to describe it, but the word stuck mm. kind of just resonates with me. Okay, let me answer that. Uh, first, I just want to tell you, every time you move the mic, the volume changes. And if you grip it differently, I could hear all the gripping. So Alrighty. since it's your podcast, I just want you to be aware of that because you're going to have to use some tools to remove that because it's like this. That's what, what it sounds okay. like. So I'm going to say. Yeah, it's just like try to keep that <laughs> performer level distance, you know. OK, I know. I'll get a, a static one next time. Yeah, the whole getting stuck concept. Um, I don't have the luxury for it because. I'm stacked on deadline on top of deadline. If I'm not doing a live, the team wants me to rewrite the page for something or they need my input on something else. And so you can imagine it's it's like a monkey on a, a unicycle with spinning sticks and I'm spinning a whole bunch of different plates around. So there really isn't time to just like, yeah, I'm stuck because I just I don't have the luxury to, you know. Now, sometimes I'm not so energized or motivated to get back into the studio where I'm at right now and to start cranking out my deck or to create social media posts. And maybe that's the closest I get to being stuck. So I have things that have very flexible deadlines and they tend to get just kicked down the road until it's absolutely essential that I finish that work. So I'll give you an example. I'm going to Vegas. I mean, and I should be working on my deck and I just can't do it because I had been traveling and I just have nothing left to give. And so I keep thinking to myself, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. So now I'm two days out from getting on an airplane the team wants me to send over my deck and it's like, it's not done. It's not done because I haven't done it. That's the problem. And so literally the night before the flight, I'm up to four in the morning working on it. And if you can imagine, this is a pattern. So like after I land, I'm working on it to wee hours of the night. And then I'm up at six in the morning working on it. And then I'm on stage at 830 and I'm giving the presentation. And so there's a cost to this kind of working from one speaking engagement to the other. And this year will probably, despite it having a semi, somewhat slow start, will probably be the busiest year for me in terms of public speaking. Because it's not even over and it's crazy the rest of the year. And is that something that you set at the start of the year as a challenge to do? Or it's just naturally and organically happened that it's been your year of being out in the wild, should we say? I think it's um, pre-pandemic. I was doing a lot of public speaking. And then we went dark. And then I was like, okay, now what? My wife's like, I get you, I get to have you back, baby. I'm like, that is one of the things about the pandemic, yeah. But it's like a um, an arrow where you pull back the the bow, and you pull it back, and you pull it back. It doesn't look like you're doing anything. Then when you let go, it shoots really far. So that's the yeah. challenge right now. I'm zipping it all over the place. But some part of me, I think I'm a glutton for punishment. I love it, and I make it more difficult for myself because I ask the event organizers, what would you like me to speak about? And then they tell me, speak about this. And I'm like, shoot, I don't have a talk prepared for that. So I'm gonna have to work through it. Such was the case with Atomicon, which I spoke at earlier, just a couple of weeks ago. And that was in, um, oh God, what, what town is that? 
I'm totally spacing right now. Newcastle. <laughs> it's in Newcastle. See, my brain oh, is wow. something fried. Yeah. In the UK? In the Newcastle UK, in Newcastle. The, the north. The, the north, oh, wow. what as a they place. say. <laughs> yep, yeah. yep, the north. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Did you have a Newcastle brown ale and some sort of battered Mars bar while you were there? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's one to say. Look for that one next yeah. time you go. <laughs> that is a cuisine from the homeland mm. there. Um, so let's um, tell me some of the things. Let's move on a little bit to creative stuff. Um, and obviously, we have creative people who are fresh in the industry looking after this podcast and looking to get some tips and ideas. And I've got a couple of my team in today who are very excited that I'm talking to you. And I did say to one of them, pop your head in if you dare. And I don't think he's going to. Um, but what are some of the challenges facing creatives at the moment in your view? So we've got AI happening. Our business is excitedly all over that. Some people are very stressed about yeah. that. What are some of the biggest challenges facing creatives at the moment, do you think? The biggest challenge facing humanity will be AI, for sure. And, and if you thought the Internet was disruptive, this is on orders of magnitude even more disruptive. Because the Internet could be passive if you let it, but AI is not going to be passive in this whole thing. And so it's a very challenging time. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm sad. I'm sad because of how the world marches on and my people, the creative people who should be at the vanguard, at the point of the spear, they're recoiling. They're fighting. They're digging their heels and saying, we're, we're going to get replaced and they don't know what to do. And they're naturally frustrated and scared and concerned. But my thing is, it's like you got you to gotta sleep with the enemy a little bit. You have to understand what the tools are. And their greatest fear is that some corporate, corporate overlord will use an AI bot to replace them. I don't think that's the case. I think some other creative person that you may not like will use the tools to do what you do or did, and you will be eliminated from that whole creative pipeline. But I also am not 100% sold that AI will replace you. So I get into these debates, especially for creatives, these debates on Twitter and LinkedIn, and it's just a lot of fear and anger and not like, let's think this through, everybody. As the poster says, keep calm, and carry on. People are not calm. They're not carrying on. So this is really concerning to me because I am trying my best to be a voice and advocate for creative professionals so that they can be elevated beyond this. Well, we're in the production slaughterhouse and we're getting killed. Well, maybe, but maybe you need to elevate yourself a little bit, right? So here's yeah. the thought. There are like millions of people are losing jobs right now and already have. And I know for a fact they have zero data on this. Because as far as I know, no, no report has been published and it's too quick. Reports like this take too long to produce. So where, where do you get this information? Millions of people are losing their jobs. Like, I don't even understand. Now, this takes me to an, a side point here. A lot of tech companies, a lot of very rich tech companies have laid off a bunch of people. Because we've entered into recession. Inflation is very high because now we have to pay for the bills that we, uh, that we spent in terms of helping people recover from the pandemic. And we understand that, that the, the, the chickens are come home to roost, so to speak. You've been writing checks and now we've got to pay for it. I understand the economy is slowing down. So tech companies, I think, have used like the cover of night to lay off a bunch of people that they didn't think were essential anymore under like it's the, it's the economy, right? So that they all don't get sued. They just lay off a whole bunch of people. And so what we're seeing, yes, we're seeing lots of people getting laid off, but it's not because of AI and it's not because a robot has replaced your artistic endeavor. And I'm not saying this is a good data point, but anecdotally, I, I hire illustrators from time to time. Not that often. This is like throughout the entire uh, 20 plus years in which I've been doing creative work. 
This year, I hired more illustrators than I've ever had because I use AI to sketch out ideas, to test concepts, and then I know that is not the level of control and finish that I want. So then I reach out to an artist and say, hey, we've explored these ideas. Can you use your style, your techniques, and take these ideas to the next level? This is a jumping off point. And they do that, and of course, everybody's happy. So I'm not quite sure where these people are coming at it. Like, I've lost millions of jobs. I'm like, you have not. I promise you, you haven't. And show me the data. Before I can believe you, show me the data, and I almost can guarantee you there's no data. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. And we've seen it here. Like, we do a lot of photography here, and everyone's like, oh, it's going to ruin photography. You know, AI is going to replace photography. But some of our clients have to have the authentic photography of the products, a lot of its food stuff that they produce. And what it really does is when we're concepting and we're doing photo briefs and we're having to pull things together really quickly, the time that we can spend hours photoshopping the right chopstick on the right bowl, it can do that for us so much quickly as a concept that it allows us to then move into the real stuff. Like, most people definitely within the studio, they don't want to do the boring, they don't want to spend hours photoshopping chopsticks onto bowls so the client then approves it and then we finally shoot it. So I think as long as you're authentic about how you're using AI, it's a really good tool. I think sometimes definitely, I've seen a lot of nervousness around the art of copywriting and things, but again, you need to, it's just a tool at the moment, you need to finesse it. Um, and just use it in the ways that it's there for. I, I tend to be a bit like you. I, obviously, it's going to move in leaps and bounds and probably will be proven wrong and we'll be sat here applying for jobs in a, in a year's time. But I don't think it's something you can worry about. You can just adapt to it and educate yourself on it. I think it's fascinating to see how and where it moves. Yeah. But you know, I... But it is sad to see the people around you that are stressed and panicking and worrying about what it might do. Hey, look, I'll say this. If worrying could create a better result for you, keep worrying. As far as I can tell, worrying has never produced a positive result, only negative. And if complaining can produce a positive result, keep complaining. But it requires some action. So a bunch of artists getting together and saying, this is horrible. I'm not saying it's great, but that's not going to produce any real result. The only way I can think is figure out what the tools are, figure out how to incorporate these things and offer other kinds of creative services that move you away from the production work that no human wants to do. No human wants to be a rotoscope artist. No human wants to be a production artist. We do that because that's the job that's available to us. We'd rather be paid for our creativity, for insight, for our ability to connect with other humans. And so the machines can, in a way, free you from some of this stuff. And why not embrace it? I keep saying to people, don't fight the future. The future has a perfect record. The future is undefeated. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. And so you have to decide when the wave of change comes, will you get wiped out? Are you going to drown in the sea of change or will you learn how to serve? That's up to each individual. That's awesome. That's a great little statement. Um, do you have any, so give me some, if you have any resources or tools or ways that people, I mean, one of my things is to try not to surround yourself with those negative people and with those warriors and doubters. Like it's a really hard thing to do, especially if you're in a work capacity, there's always going to be those people around. Now the lights have gone off around me. So I'm going to sit here in the dark and talk to you. Um, what, like, how do you make sure you stay on that positive mindset? Because you are obviously very optimistic. I'm a really optimistic person, and, and I specifically really intentionally make sure I have time away from the doubters and the negative people. But how, what about other creatives? How do you get them to think positive, to think great about the future? It's kind of difficult. Negative people want to be negative, and positive people want to be positive. So I'm mostly concerned about the people in the middle. Like if you're a cranky sourpuss and that's all you wanted to do and just complain, you're some kind of curmudgeon, uh, yeah, you go do your thing. You do you. But I don't want to be around you that much. 
unless I want to do some dark comedy, then I'll listen to you uh, and, and complain about all the things you like to complain about. But so the people in the middle, I think, are still yet undecided. And that's who I'm trying to transmit this message of positivity. And there are so many different people talking about this philosophically, the neuroscience of it all. But what you think about, what you preoccupy your mind with shapes your reality. It's like if you're a positive person, your state is positive. You can solve problems. You have a, a happiness advantage, as Sean, um, Sean Arker writes about. And so, like, why would we put ourselves in a negative space? I'll give you a classic example, and it's a little abstract, but let me just give it to you, okay? My mom right now, her health is not well. She has really high blood pressure up until a point in which it's like, are you going to die, mom? Something's crazy. And not that much has changed about her life, but there are just enough little things that are annoying her that she obsesses over, that she feels a victim to, but she can she created the condition in which she's in and I just feel so bad because I don't want my mom to like have a premature life in terms of like her life expectancy. I want her to, to live a life that's full. So whenever we can, we invite my parents to come and spend the, the days or many days and nights with us. And so that you can just get away and just change their perspective. So you can just think about that. If your if your mind is dwelling on negative things that affects your state, you're, you're, you're going to produce all the negative hormones or chemicals that are going to put you at a disadvantage a creative disadvantage and now you're just giving free reign to whoever it is that you're competing against to then rocket past you why would you do that to yourself i don't understand that so i'm not in the business of trying to cheer other people up i'm in the business of keeping my mind focused on what it is i need to do to not let the haters affect whatever whatever it is i'm doing and not to surround myself with so much negativity that i can't just brush it off i gotta tell you i got a horrific comment on on dm uh, on my Instagram DMs yesterday. And this this lady, who I think it's not like it's a real person, she just laid into me, uh, just trashing me. I'm like, okay. And she was saying, I, 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 fo I followed you for six years. And then when your book came out, I ordered it. And your book is a piece of garbage, this piece of trash. There's nothing redeemable about it. Uh, you're, you, I think you've just became really greedy since the book has been published. I'm like, okay. Wow. That's kind of vile. She just dumped it on me. Now, notice there's no constructive feedback here. It's just calling me names, greedy, worthless, a piece of BS, you know, and, you're, uh, and, and there's now I'm not going to follow you. So there's really nothing actionable in her feedback, but I tried my best to respond to her. I'm like, ouch, wow, that was pretty harsh. Um, I guess the book is not for everybody. I don't even know what to do with this. And then her comment back to me was like, yeah, you got to take some of the good with the bad, right? I'm like, yeah, but you didn't leave oh, wow. any specifics. There's nothing here. It's just, it's just like a lot of name calling. And I'll still stay in the conversation because I've developed pretty thick armor or skin to all of this and it doesn't impact me. But I'm like, is this person crying for help? Do they need something? Do I, how do I help the service person? And at some certain point, I'm like, I can't help you. There's nothing left here. I think that's a sweet spot, isn't it? When you start to analyze people's reactions and if there is no specific feedback, you start to think about what's going on in their world rather than it being all about you because clearly it's not. It's clearly something that's going on in her world and she's taking that emotion out on you. If there's, no, like, there's nothing specific, it's not like the book is too short or the book is too long or any of those specific things. There's nothing for you to build on. There's no nugget of information, yeah. but it's hard. And, and I respect you for going back to her even um, with a response, I guess, to try and dig a bit deeper and find out more. There's that little curious side of you that goes, what is this about? Everybody has a bad day and everybody can vent and it's okay. 
Now, I'm not going to say like you should vent like that to my children. I don't think they're prepared for that kind of feedback, but I am. I'm okay with it. And I started to do the math. The book came out, I think, three or four years ago. And that would put this that she's been following me 10 years ago, which is not possible because I didn't create, I've not created content for that long. So some of the math is a little funky. So I thought maybe it was a, somebody else trolling me. So I just wanted to know, like, where does this go? Sometimes I like to troll the trolls too. So it's kind of, let's see where this evolves <laughs> to, but I'm totally okay with it. Do you think that's just because, do you think as you've got more experience and you've had more experience, you're more just more confident, and I don't want to say that in an ego way, a confident, not an ego way, about yourself and who you are? I think that comes from a way of looking at the world, because uh, I've been this way for a really long time. And I know this bothers people when I say this, but when I found out who I was supposed to be in this world, when I feel like I'm in alignment with my human design or whatever it is, then I don't know what else to do for people, you know? And I try to look at myself as objectively as possible. And this is what, I don't wanna go too far on this in case you're not interested in this, but people tend to swing in this pendulum and the pendulum swings really far one way and the other way between self-love and then all the way on the other side to self-hate and back to self-love or self-loathing and back and forth. I'd like to take a more healthy perspective, which is, if you weren't you, how would you see yourself? And are you okay with that? And you can love many parts of you and you can loathe some parts of you. And I'm okay with both. There's things I don't like about myself. And I'm okay with that. I'm not going to try to change it because people don't like that. I'll give you an example. I have an edge to myself, right? I know this and I can cut people. And it's why some people call me a charming razor blade. It's like there's some charm. There's a lot of good intention but sometimes short patience and, you know, maybe I, I want to poke fun at people for a little bit more than I should. And it's in the spirit of having fun and lightening the mood, but not everyone can take it. Not everyone has that kind of skin, especially people who throw comments at you, but then can't take it back. So, yeah, I understand that. And a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, told me and she, she said, Chris, I think people just have the wrong idea about you. And I think if you were just to rephrase a couple of things and approach it a little bit differently, they won't misunderstand you. And I said to her, no, they understand me perfectly that I'm going to rub some people the wrong way. And some people will come up to me. You're an a-hole. I'm like, okay, I understand you think that. That's not, nothing to do with me. That's an opinion you have and it's okay. And I accept that sometimes if you listen to just one or two things that I'm doing and you're in a negative state of mind, you have that same impression. And I think that's a fair assessment, objectively speaking. I'm okay with that. I'm not trying to change myself to be like uh, whatever it is you want me to be because at, at a certain point, you change yourself so much, you've lost your way as to who you are. And do you think, were there any certain, I really like that, um, were there any certain points over the last however many years that have, that have kind of solidified that and made you, because I do think there are instances, probably, you know, moments that happen that make you go, no, actually I'm better to be authentically me because you spend so long trying to be someone else and then and, and I and I say that more so because you know like I've had moments throughout more recently throughout my career where people go oh, you're really people I like they love working with you but then there's always that handful of people that go like oh I don't like how you have a certain way of how you like it or a little bit sarcastic sometimes or you try and get that you kind of push people to try and get the best out of them and I think there is an unconscious bias there because we try and attract people who are a little bit like us that want to you know kind of push themselves or grow and, and for so long I try to be you try and go well I don't want to upset anyone I you know I probably should be a te like temper it down a bit 
when you're around certain people. But I think you actually do so much better in the world when you go, do you know what, it's me. And you take it or leave it. Like, I'm not offensive. I'm not trying to upset people. I'm trying to do the very best thing I can do, but also be myself. And it's hard to be someone that you're not. But were there any moments that got you to that point? Like, specific defining moments? Uh, well, I do want to say something. I think your number one job and priority is to be 100% you at all times. There are certain situations and circumstances where you can't be yourself. You have to put on a good face. You have to adopt a persona. For example, if you're invited to a funeral or a wedding and you're like, I don't really care about the couple, but, you know, social grace, it's polite, it's tradition. You do it and you just suck it up. And, yeah, you don't need to express everybody. This marriage will never last or never liked Uncle Bob anyways. Uh, that's where maybe you just don't do that. But as much as you can, you're just trying to be yourself. And I think you have to be in touch with who you are to say like, you know, that part that some people don't like, I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. I'm not going to change that. And if you don't like that, it's okay. And I live in this space where I only want to be around people who are comfortable themselves enough so that I can be myself and we give space to each other. It's not to say that we're all the same. We don't all have to be blonde British women live in Australia. That doesn't, that's not it. It's just about, like, do you love yourself enough to create space for others? And that's the sign of true confidence. Now, your question is, was there something that brought that on, right? Okay. Yep. I'll tell yep. you, from ages 1 to 18, I'm pretty lost. I tried the other path to try to be whoever you thought I, you wanted me to be. I tried that for my mom for my dad, for my teachers, and for my quote-unquote friends from school. I'll wear that clothes, or I'll, I'll pretend to like that kind of music because that's what it is. Or I won't show you that I love comic books and love playing video games because that's the kind of stuff that gets you beat up in school. And so I've hidden that. And I've, I've become such um, a good pretender that at some point, I don't even like myself. It's like, who are you? And if you pretend long enough, you forget who you really are. And so I go to college and eventually I get into an art school, a design school. And I think for the first time in my life, I'm in, a line, in alignment with who I'm supposed to be. I'm, I'm actually really good at design. I'm a really good student and I love this stuff. I'm so passionate. I'm singularly focused on this. And so those four factors combine into making me like some uber nerd designer. Like I'm in the library. They're at the party. I'm in the computer lab working. They're asleep. And I just keep doing this over and over again. And then I start to, I think, commit to practice this idea of being a designer. And so as I keep doing this, you get better. You become more self-confident. You start to learn, like, I can do this. And, and it, it's not even that hard for me while other people are struggling. So I create a new identity, a new self, if you will. And I start rebuilding myself from that point forward. So I think I found myself in college, as many people do, when I was 20 or 19 years old going through the first semester in art school, realizing, I think I can do this. That's awesome. And it's been worth it. And you don't have to please those Instagram trolls anymore. I don't care. I, I actually have never tried to please them. I'll say stuff and they're like, whatever. <laughs> I've loved catching up with you today. Um, where can we see you next? What's, what are you up to next? Like, I know you said you're going to Comic-Con. You're going to Vegas. Are you going to spend any time at home too? Going to see the family for a while? I know you're going to Comic-Con yes. with your son, but what uh, The Comic-Con trip is an <laughs> annual thing that my son and I have been doing for the last four or five years. Um, unfortunately, he's too old now that I have to actually pay for him to get in, so it's, that part sucks. It's like you're better <laughs> at, as a munchkin. Um, but I'm, I'm going to be going to, um, to Canada to go on a fishing trip, and it's an amazing fishing trip where, where we live on a barge 
for like four or five days. I'm going with one of my friends and we're meeting up with some internet friend also on the trip. So I'll, I'll be doing some uh, impromptu meetup in, in Vancouver. Um, but I'm, I'm going to be speaking in Miami at two different workshops. I'm also flying up to Toronto in Canada and I'll be speaking at RGD. And then I zip that night over to another event called Hot Sauce in New York City. Uh, so it's just, you know, back to back. And somebody just reached out to me, Paul, and he's like, Chris, come to Portland. Come do a talk here. Yes, go to Portland. <laughs> I have some great friends in Portland. Yeah, go I there. love Portland. So maybe I go there, but then my travel is going to be insane where it's like a day travel and I'm doing the next event, a day travel, next event. It's sometimes the same day. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You've got a very busy end of yeah, year. Yeah. And then hey? supposedly Singapore, the Philippines, this is all before the end of the year. Um, and, and probably the Middle East, Dubai, uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, and Saudi Arabia. So I'm not sure. Possibly New Zealand and Australia. I'm not sure yet. Jason's, uh, working all that stuff. It's far. Yeah, Yeah, it's far. Jason's a gun, but it's far. Maybe I'll catch you in Singapore instead. (laughs) Meet halfway. It's been really great chatting. I will add all of your links, places to DM you, catch you, find you, all of your Instagram um, contacts into the show notes. Um, thank you very much for showing me how to use Riverside as well and all being the tech expert today. Um, it's been really nice to catch Likewise, up. Likewise. Thanks, Lisa. I hope to bump into you somewhere in the world again. <laughs>